welcome to All Places Together. Here we believe that our lives are connected to one another and rooted in God's inclusive and expansive love for diverse creation. I'm Colleen Montgomery, the pastor of All Places Together and your podcast host. Wherever you are, whoever you are, however you are, take a deep breath. Today's episode is The Questions of Holy Week, Part 3. Y'all, this is All Places Together's first ever bonus episode. If you're listening kind of in real time, you'll know that you got an episode this past Sunday. And believe it or not, you're going to get another episode this coming Sunday, too. This is really appropriate or in sync with many traditional churches because it's Holy Week. And many uh, traditional Christian churches are having lots of bonus worship this week on Thursday, Friday, and maybe even Saturday, too. They will be reading and praying through the same sets of stories that we've been exploring together throughout these episodes. Part one of the questions of Holy Week covered Palm Sunday. Part two covered most of the week following. And then part three is going to take us through the end of the story all of the way to the tomb mostly Thursday and Friday of that week. Again, our focus is on the questions, the questions that Jesus asks, that Jesus is asked, and that others just ask other people in the stories too. And also, just be aware that while I don't go into the specific details of Jesus's crucifixion, I do talk about it pretty plainly. So please make an intentional choice about what little ones might be listening along with you today. One last reminder, don't forget that we are all in on the Gospel of Matthew. The other three Gospels, Mark, Luke, and John, also tell the stories of Holy Week, but in both similar and different ways, and we are all in on Matthew here. All right, let's jump in. We are picking up at Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. So there's one last question to go before we get to the Last Supper. Jesus has again left Jerusalem and is in that neighboring town, Bethany. While he's visiting someone, a woman with a large portion of perfume comes to Jesus and anoints his head with it. And apparently uses all of it. And it was a big amount. Because the disciples ask in Matthew 26, 8 and 9, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. Now, given that Jesus had just finished teaching them, the disciples, about how they are to care for people in need, which was very intentionally, I don't blame them for asking this question, right? They've just been told that whenever they care for someone in need, they are caring for God. So like this is at the forefront of their mind. I think this question is evidence of them deeply listening to Jesus and trying to figure out how to do what he has instructed. But Jesus responds something different. He says that the poor will always be with him, be with them, the disciples, but he won't always be there. He commends the woman's actions and promises that her story will be told. It was and it is. From there, the next question is asked by Judas, one of Jesus's disciples. But the question isn't directed at Jesus. In fact, Jesus isn't anywhere on the scene. Instead, Judas is directing this question towards the chief priests. And Matthew 26, 14, Judas asks, 
What will you give me if I betray him to you? The him, of course, is Jesus. The price was apparently right for Judas, as the next verse is the chief priests giving him 30 pieces of silver. The plot for Jesus' arrest is now officially in motion. The time for celebrating Passover has now arrived. After all, don't forget, that's the whole reason that Jesus and his disciples have come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Earlier in the week, Jesus had given instructions to the disciples of where they would gather for this holy meal, and they do all the necessary preparations to get ready. So it is time for Passover, or the first night of Passover. They get there, and they are around the table, and Jesus shares that he knows that one of his disciples is going to betray him. Each of the disciples respond with the same question. I'm not the one, am I, Lord? Even Judas asks this question, even though according to this story, he had already betrayed Jesus. I guess he's just trying to cover his tracks, so to speak. Jesus in this moment doesn't indicate that he knows who it's going to be that betrays him. So we don't know if Jesus knew that Judas did this already or not. But Jesus is confident that the one one of those who is gathered with him is going to betray him. After the meal, Jesus institutes the practice of communion, and then he goes into a brief moment of teaching. This is one of the major differences between Matthew and the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, this teaching section is chapters long. Um, But here in Matthew, it's pretty quick. Here in Matthew, Jesus just tells them that he's going to be resurrected and that they should meet him in Galilee. So remember that. That piece of information is going to be very important in a few days. Then they leave that place where they'd gathered for the meal and Jesus takes the disciples to a garden to pray. He gives them instructions to stay in a particular place to pray And he's going to go somewhere else to pray. In this time of personal and private prayer, Jesus prays to God as his father and asks if there is any way to avoid what is about to happen. It is very a deep and powerful moment here where Jesus is asking, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Is this got to be the way? And kind of in the, in the midst of his prayers, he like takes some breaks and he goes back to the disciples to check on them. And every time they go back, he goes back, they are asleep. Jesus asks the disciples this in Matthew 26, 40. Couldn't you stay alert one hour with me? Y'all, they couldn't. They keep falling asleep. He goes back and forth several times and ends up just saying, will you sleep and rest all the night? And... They don't end up sleeping and resting all the night because immediately following this comment, Jesus sees that there's other people who are entering the garden and he anticipates what is going to happen next. The moment has come and there is no turning back. Judas is with the group of people who is entering the garden and Judas comes up to Jesus and kisses him on the cheek. And it's that kiss that then identifies Jesus to the guards who are the other people that are with Judas. So there's some rustle and tussle, some conversation, but the guards arrest Jesus. And though Jesus does not at all resist arrest, it's just kind of the disciples acting a fool around him. uh, Jesus does ask in Matthew 26, 55, 
Have you come with swords and clubs to arrest me like a thief? Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching, but you didn't arrest me. Now, if any of the guards responded to Jesus's question, Matthew doesn't record it. But I do want to say like Jesus makes a really good point there. All throughout the previous week, Jesus has been in public places, in the in the daylight, like very clearly interacting with people, talking with people, making people mad even. And he's not arrested in any of those moments. So I think that's a really great question. Like, why did they wait to arrest him until that moment? Jesus does kind of answer it for us. He explains that it's all part of how scripture was to be fulfilled. Once Jesus is in custody of the guard, he is taken to the high priest Caiaphas. There are legal experts there as well. And while Jesus had had some conversation with elders, leaders, and experts throughout the week, Jesus has now come to like the top of the hierarchy. He is at the top of the food chain. Like when it comes to powerful religious leaders, Caiaphas is at the top. And here with Caiaphas, Jesus faces another set of questions. Caiaphas and those below him are looking for some sort of evidence that's going to be strong enough to get rid of Jesus for good. But they haven't found it yet. They haven't found what they need to really like convict him. So now they're going to try to trap Jesus in his own words to use Jesus's words against him. Caiaphas asks Jesus in Matthew 26, 62, aren't you going to respond to the testimony these people have brought against you? Jesus is silent the first time the question is asked. And then when he is asked again, he responds by quoting a verse from the book of Daniel. Jesus says that they will see the human one sitting next to the right hand of God. This is to be an insinuation that the human one is Jesus and that Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus's response sends them through the roof, as you might imagine, and they decide in that moment that Jesus deserves to die for his insults to God. At least that's what the official story is. Jesus is offending God. Uh, Not really the truth of what has happened throughout the week, which is Jesus is offending and is a threat to them. While this is happening on the inside of a building, one of Jesus's disciples, Peter, is facing his own questioning on the outside of the building in the courtyard garden. Peter is questioned three times if he is the follower of Jesus. Each time, Peter denies it. And with his three denials, another layer of prophecy is fulfilled. Peter remembers Jesus predicting that one of the disciples would deny him, and Peter is deeply upset by his own words and actions. On Friday morning, Jesus is moved from Caiaphas' place and is taken to the governor of the area, Pontius Pilate. And so, just like Caiaphas is at the top of the food chain of all of the religious leaders, Pontius Pilate is at the top of the food chain of the political leaders. But before we get to see or hear anything about Jesus's interaction with Pilate, Matthew cuts the action back to Judas. So we get to see one last interaction with Judas here. Again, Judas is the disciple that betrayed Jesus. 
Judas has begun to feel deep regrets, and he goes to the chief priests whom he made this arrangement with, and he tries to give the money back. He tries to get this all to stop. It's like an act of desperation trying to set things right. However, the chief priests and elders, they won't take the money back. Like they don't engage with Judas. It's kind of like what's done is done. Judas is so upset that he ends up taking his own life. And from where Judas's body is, the elders end up taking those 30 coins back anyhow. It's a pretty brutal part of the story. But Matthew doesn't let us linger with Judas. The story moves directly back into Pilate's questioning of Jesus. As governor, Pilate is one of the most powerful people in all of Jerusalem, maybe the most powerful. And I have like so many of my own questions about this interaction. Like if Jesus had been nicer to Pilate, could he have avoided the crucifixion? Like things like that. And the truth is there's no way to know um, because Jesus doesn't really play nice with Pilate. In fact, Jesus really barely plays along. Pilate asks Jesus in Matthew 27, 11, are you the king of the Jews? And a few verses later in verse 13, Pilate asks, do you hear the testimony they bring about you? Jesus either parrots back an answer to Pilate or he doesn't answer at all. Like any favor or influence that Pilate could have given to help Jesus or like change the course of action, like vanishes. There's no possibility for that. And I think maybe the truth is, and this goes back to my questions about the interaction, like maybe that was all false hope to begin with. Maybe there was going to be nothing that Jesus could do that was going to change the outcome of where this situation was going. Like that's what he was praying about in the garden. And maybe Jesus just, he saw how it was going to end and he was going to see it through. From this private conversation between Pilate, Jesus, and the chief priests, Matthew then takes us into a very public space. Uh, Since Passover was to start that night, it was time for a special little tradition of Jerusalem, uh, kind of an odd one. The tradition is that the governor would release one prisoner and that this person would be free to go, no longer facing any penalties for the crimes or offenses that they have committed. So Pilate offers the crowd between Jesus, who is called the Christ, so the Jesus that we have been following, and then also another Jesus, uh, Jesus called Jesus Barabbas. I know it's kind of odd to think about there being like multiple Jesuses, but it is just a name. So there's multiple Jesuses uh, even in the Bible. So in Matthew 27, 17, Pilate calls out to the crowds, whom do you want me to release to you? And this is a really stunning moment because the crowds who welcomed Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, um, Jesus of Galilee, our Jesus, the crowds who welcomed him on Sunday that were throwing palm branches and putting down their coats, uh, they don't kind of cheer for him in this situation. They call out for Barabbas to be freed and for the other Jesus, our Jesus, to be crucified. Pilate asks the crowd, like, what has Jesus done wrong? Like, Barabbas is like a convicted thief. Like, there's proof. 
of of the bad things that Barabbas has done. Um, but if anyone from the crowd answers this question of Pilate of like what Jesus has done, it can't be heard because the crowd is nearing a riot and they are just calling out for Jesus to be crucified. They're just yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And this is escalating. Again, it's like on the brink of a riot. And so Pilate literally washes his hands of Jesus and hands him over to the Roman guards to be crucified. He gives in to what the people want and gives a state-sanctioned state approval for Jesus to be crucified on the cross. I do wish we knew more about what made the crowd's minds change. What questions, conversations, and discussions happened across Jerusalem over the past week that made so many minds change? And none of the Gospels offer any true insight to this. But something happened that they went from cheering for him to cheering against him later in the week. From in front of those near rioting crowds, Jesus is taken by the Roman guards and the process of crucifixion begins. Crucifixion is a deeply humiliating, violent, and painful process. Jesus faces both physical and psychological abuse. To think that modern-day Christians put neat and tidy crosses in our buildings or we wear them as jewelry as a symbol of our faith and we even decorate cakes with them. It's kind of wild because it's completely different from how Jesus and his contemporaries experienced and witnessed the cross. The cross was an implement of slow, painful, and public death. While Jesus was on the cross, but before he died, many people walked by and some interacted with him. Matthew 27, 40 says that multiple people asked Jesus this question. So you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, were you? Save yourself. If you are God's son, come down from the cross. This is a reference to a prediction that Jesus made earlier in the week. And the reminder of the prediction is both a flashback to when Jesus said that particular comment that he was going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. And it's also a moment of foreshadowing of what is going to happen in the future. Everyone around him assumed that Jesus was talking about the literal temple in Jerusalem, like the building that was the temple. Yet it turns out that that wasn't quite the temple that Jesus was referring to but we'll get there. We're not quite there yet. The last question that's recorded in dialogue form in all of the Holy Week story is the final question that Jesus speaks with some of his final breaths. While on the cross, Jesus asks God in Matthew 27, 40, my God, my God, why have you left me? Or in another translation, Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? This phrase is a part of Psalm 22. Jesus doesn't get an answer to this question, or at least one that anyone else around him can hear or interpret. Perhaps Jesus heard God's voice in his heart or mind, or perhaps it was just silence. I don't know. But what I do know is that I have asked God this question too. 
both about why Jesus had to die in the way that he did, but also about my own life when I feel abandoned and forsaken. Soon after lifting up this prayer and question, Jesus shouts one last time, and then he dies. Matthew describes how the temple curtain is torn in two and how there was an earthquake and holy people were raised from the dead. But Matthew doesn't give us any more details about who those people were or what happened to them. Just like a little bit of an interesting tidbit, right? People are raised from the dead. Though it is not recorded in dialogue form, there is a faithful man that comes forward, Joseph of Arimathea, who goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus's body. Pilate gives Joseph permission for him to take the body. Joseph sees that the body is removed from the cross, wrapped, and then quickly taken into a new tomb. The sun was setting, which meant a new day was coming. You may or may not know that Jewish days begin at sunset. So sunset on Friday marked the beginning of Sabbath, which meant that they wouldn't be able to move or tend to the body until Sunday. So if they missed their opportunity to tend to Jesus now, they wouldn't be able to. So Joseph moves and acts quickly and gets Jesus into the tomb. Now, there were some Pharisees who had been listening. They'd been listening to what Jesus said, and they were concerned about Jesus being raised from the dead. So they asked Pilate to have the tomb sealed. Pilate agreed. The tomb was closed with a large stone and guards were posted at its opening. And that's where the story ends, for now at least. And it's this moment that to me feels like just all of these unanswered questions are just hanging in the air. I'm like, but wait, but didn't, but I thought like, and it's all of these same sort of unanswered questions and unresolved questions that happen when anyone dies. And it turns out Jesus's death any, isn't any different. I think a spiritual moment that this story invites us into is this time and space of just holding room for grief and for these unanswered questions. Not rushing to figure something out, not speaking platitudes to try to calm the grief or offer, you know, cheap comfort. While we know how this story ends, It is worth our time to sit in this holy space of waiting, mourning, and not answering questions. So instead of inviting you to reflect on a question here at the end of this episode, I instead invite you into a time of holding space. I'm not going to share a prayer that I've crafted. Instead, I invite you to listen to our regular prayer music and to just be in that music. You may choose to pray your own words or to listen for God's voice or simply just take some deep breaths. I invite you to be with God in this holy moment, wherever you are.
Thank you for joining us at All Places Together. We hope you experienced God's love for you and the world in today's episode. Now, like I said, we know how this story ends. This story ends with the miracle of resurrection and Easter. And while there'll be an Easter episode coming on Sunday, you're also invited to join the All Places Together community for Easter Zoom communion. We're gathering on Monday, April 10th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. There's a sign-up sheet um, on social media, and it's also linked in the show notes. You just have to sign up with your email so I can get you the Zoom link. If you're not sure about taking communion, that's okay. You're welcome to just gather with us and hear the Easter story together. Feel free to let me know if you have any questions. Thank you to our mission partners, the Virginia Synod and the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Being church together is so important, and it is so meaningful to tell the story of Jesus' death and resurrection with you all this week. Thank you to all the individuals who give to empower the ongoing mission and ministry of APT. If you'd like to financially support our mission and ministry, you can go to our website, allplacestogether.org. Scroll to the bottom where it says Give Now and click that button and you'll be redirected to our giving platform. If you'd like to give with a check or in another form or fashion, please feel free to email me and I can help you get that sorted. Our email is allplacestogether at gmail.com. We know that it can be hard to give financially, and I celebrate all of the ways that you engage with All Places Together online throughout the week. I hope that you've been enjoying the Taylor Swift Holy Week reels as much as I have. It really makes me smile every time um, that I see that someone has shared them to your stories or that you've tagged your Swifty friends in them too. Until next time, which will be pretty soon, remember that God is with you and loves you wherever whoever and however you are.